what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films. My name is Alan. This is Chris over here across from me. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Chris, how are you doing today? Doing really well. Chris, I got something to confess. What's well, okay, so you told me the two films I was supposed to go see this week Correct. to review, right. and I, I didn't make it to either of them. What? <laughs> I know, I know. I've, I really feel bad. So here's what we're going to do and kind of to make up for that, okay? I know you saw both the films. I did not. I'm being the slacker today, and I apologize to our entire listener community out there for letting you down on this. You owe me a 2014 popcorn bucket. <laughs> Ooh, you're pulling out the big guns now. Okay, I got a lot of serious making up to do here. Uh, so what we're going to do in today's episode is a little different, but you know we are going to review these two films, although it's going to be a little more of a one-sided review. Gotcha. I'm going to play the uh, inquisitive young man who wants to learn about these two films, and you can tell me whether you like them or not. Gotcha. So we are going to be reviewing two films. We're going to be reviewing the film Captain Phillips, starring Tom Cruise. <laughs> Tom, Tom Cruise. Now that- not Tom Cruise. It's Tom Hanks. <laughs> Tom Hanks. The other Tom. And then a very interesting film that I guarantee most of our listeners probably never even heard of escape from tomorrow we'll just tell you all about it when we get to that in a minute two films that mr chris will be reviewing for us today on his lonesome i'm afraid (laughs) then we're going to move into some movie news some a couple things going on in the movies community we want to talk about uh some some release dates that are being moved around some questions about when certain films are going to come out then we're going to have a good fun i'm really looking forward to this conversation about the art of trailers Uh, You and I have done some research on trailers that we like. We're going to talk about trailers, what we like about them, what we don't like, and maybe some trailers that we have found very impressive over the years ourselves. The long-awaited trailer. I know, because I think we teased about this trailer uh, discussion months ago. Yeah. Uh, We actually had our own teaser trailer about the trailer (laughs) discussion months ago. So now we're ready to finally come clean and and make up for that that, that teaser. Then we're going to, of course, end out the show with our recommendations of the episode, uh, movies we think you ought to check out online if you haven't already. So a lot to do, a little interesting format change for us today, <laughs> but a lot to do here on Foot Candle Films. We're really happy to have you here listening to us. Uh, again, you can check out all of our archive shows here on TheMesh.TV. This is our online network of shows. Foot Candle Films is just one of many shows that we put out uh, at least, uh, looks like about twice a month is our schedule right now for, for Foot Candle Films. Some of the other episodes and shows on The Mesh coming out monthly or weekly. You got everything from sports to business to education, uh, entertainment, music, all that good stuff, all happening on TheMesh.TV. We're just happy to be a part of it. So Chris, you ready to get started? Yes, let's do it. Let's go ahead and talk about our first film. Let's start with the more mainstream one, if we can. Uh, Tom Hanks starring in Paul Greengrass's new film, Captain Phillips. Everything okay? I don't like the look of that. They're coming in fast. This is Mask Alabama. We are an unarmed freighter. We have two skiffs approaching with armed intruders. Potential piracy situation. Listen up. We have been boarded by armed pirates. (laughs) 
everything going to be okay. Look at me. Sure. Look at me. Sure. I'm the captain now. All right, so Chris, uh, Captain Phillips, brand new film, Paul Greengrass, who many people may know uh, as a very intense filmmaker. Actually, the, the films I probably know him best from are, are a couple of the Bourne films. Right. He did the Bourne Supremacy. He did the Bourne Ultimatum. He did not do the first Bourne film, which is the Bourne Identity, but okay. he kind of followed up the franchise after that and did several entries afterwards. Uh, he's also worked with Matt Damon on another film, Green Zone. I think that was the last film he did before the one we're going to talk about today. The one I want to kind of key in a little bit in his filmography is United 93. Have you seen that film? I have. Yeah. Very harrowing depiction of a real world event obviously had to do with the uh uh, the 9-11 terrorist attack. And this is the one that took place on the flight United 93 that was actually grounded because of the efforts of the, uh, the people on board. Very, very well-made film. Yes. Uh, terrifying, intense, but it didn't pander either. It was not your typical uh, melodramatic, let's take a, a, a real life story and just over dramatize it and make it super Hollywoodized. And uh, it was very well done. Yes. Agreed. So, Although the topic of Captain Phillips is not one I was terribly interested in, it's basically a true story of Captain Richard Phillips, the 2009 hijacking by some some Somali pirates of his uh, ship, a cargo ship. It, it didn't really grab me, the, the topic, but yet sure. seeing Paul Greengrass and Tom Hanks, who I generally respect as an actor, and I think he does some generally good work in most everything he does, has me interested enough to want to go seek this out. So now I'm looking to you to tell me, should I go seek this film out or is this one to wait for Netflix or just not even check out at all? Well, it's definitely a film worth checking out. Um, just the fact that you said, like you said, Tom Hanks, he's the lead actor. He does play Captain Phillips and he, you know, he's, I, he does a decent job. Greengrass taking this material, you know, it could be very heavy handed because there are some politics involved with governments right. and big businesses and the Somali pirates that you mentioned, you know, it's, it could make judgments on them. Mm -hmm. So, but he handles it. I feel like for the most part, pretty delicately. And it, it is a worthwhile watch. Okay. Now, do I think that it probably deserves the 90, whatever percentage rating it receives in Rotten Tomatoes? No. Is it really that high on Rotten Tomatoes? It's I haven't looked high. it up. Okay. It's yeah. pretty high. The film to me is more, it's longer than it needs to be. I guess, you know, that's mm. one of my constant complaints, but also two hours, um, 14 minutes. Yeah. Thank you. IMDB. But, um, it's the most interesting part about the movie and is the way if, if you're any interested in the Oscars at all or um, the reason I would seek it out is for the supporting actor, although I could say he's one of the lead actors, the guy who plays the Somali pirate leader and his character name is Musse. Mm -hmm. and he's an unknown actor because apparently he was a taxi cab driver in, I believe, New York City. And he was heard about a casting call. He happens to be Somali. Okay. And they brought him in and they're like, okay, you've got the part. And granted his physicality, he's very scary looking. He's yeah. very skinny. He's a very gaunt looking character, sharp right? I mean, features yes. on his face. He's, he's kind of intimidating. Even Barkhad Abdi. Yes. Barkhad, yeah. Even though he is kind of short, you know, he's not like this ridiculously tall guy, but he's imposing just to look at. And it's pretty impressive to watch the movie and watch him be intimidating, holding ground with Tom Hanks. Wow. Okay. I mean, it's pretty, you know. And it's, I don't feel like it's showy either. It's just, it's very well done. 
And I do give credit to Tom Hanks for that as well, but his role is just very subdued, very uninteresting. Mm. For the most part, he's a serviceable part. He plays this captain, but he's just kind of like a blank slate. There's not a whole lot there. Mm. So that's not very interesting. I will say, though, this will probably be the Oscar clip they show if he is nominated. You know, I was not impressed with Tom Hanks the whole film. I was just like, eh, whatever. After... He is rescued. It's, you know, public record. Yeah, he does get story. rescued. It's sure. a true story. After he is rescued, he is then debriefed and checked mm-hmm. out by mm-hmm. a medical team. Mm-hmm. That 10, 15 minute scene, it's probably not even that long, is amazing. Wow, really? Acting. Yeah, it's okay. like he's, it's, then it's like, okay, you know, we want a big scene for Tom Hanks. It may have been like he knew he got to do that scene and that's why he agreed to do the mm-hmm. movie. Or, you know, who knows? He's you know, done all sorts of projects before. But I was really impressed with his acting in that scene i mean there wasn't a lot of other than being you know it's a it's a thriller because it is there's a lot of dramatic tension but i never found myself really regarding the movie one way or the other until that scene and then it it got me emotionally interesting really got me and that was surprising to me because as you say the two hour 14 minute runtime i was just kind of like okay yeah this is a film it documented what had happened it's interesting to think about how a little boat of pirates could take over this huge, mm-hmm. gigantic tanker. Like, how does this happen? And they, you know, they kind of explain that. And I appreciated about the film, too, that they didn't rush to get to the part where the Somali pirates are attacking the boat, mm-hmm. you know, with guns mm-hmm. and stuff. They start off the film, the way they started off is Tom Hanks is at home and his house in, I think it's Vermont. Yeah. And then they show the Somali pirates on the beach getting rounded up to go out and try to you know, be piped to boost booty hmm. from the So you actually ships. follow the pirates kind of from the beginning as yes. well. So it's not like they're like the mystery villain that just no, kind of pops out pops of nowhere. Up, no. hmm, you good. get both, That's nice. both characters, both Musset and Tom Hanks's Phillips. You get both of those guys from like where they're starting out and their progress to how they get to where they are. Okay. That's a so. cool concept. That actually has me a little more interested in it than, than what I was expecting. Now, what about with Greengrass, you know, the director? I mean, he, he's, you know, he's someone I've always regarded as very a very realistic uh, style to his filmmaking. I mean, you feel like you're there in a situation. You don't always feel like you're watching really a film. You feel like you're following either. Almost got a little bit of a pseudo documentary feel to sure. it. A lot of times I see. Is that does it work in this film? Is uh, the filmmaking style? I mean, does it kind of carry on that tradition? I feel like it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It as far as how it's carried off, it is very United ninety three okay. like. Yeah. Um, it's very matter of fact, there is some, a lot of people deride the film and his work for this, the, the kind of the jerky, yeah, the handy, the shaky camera, cam, shaky thing. cam yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, it, I didn't feel like it was distracting okay. and I felt like it worked in some of the parts of going around the hallways of the ship and, you know, jaunting down stairwells. I, I felt like it all worked. And if anything, a big challenge to that, the takeover of the ship and the pirates hacking that does use that. But then the film totally switches gears and becomes kind of a United 93 type drama because there's a whole section of the film, the last latter half, where they're in the lifeboat and they're mm. confined to this very confined space. And there's not a lot of fancy camera work and mm. not a lot of jerking around and tricks. It's just there it is. And I, I feel like that's also a very interesting, effective part of the film. So I I, I thought it was a I, I admire Greengrass's portrayal of this. I think he did a think he did a great job. Okay. So a generally positive review from you, not, not a glowing review, not something you're, you're going out and screaming from the rooftop. People need to check out, but is a good, good, adequate film. You're saying. Sure. Yeah. Highlights of the film are that acting portion towards the end for Hanks. And then the Somali pirate Musay, the unknown actor that 
Bar- Barkad Abdi? Uses, yeah, his name? Mm-hmm, yeah, that's right. Um, so those are the two highlights. I, I will also say, I guess, Mr. Hanks's accent at the beginning of the film that he seems to kind of lose. Or it was like just, a Boston accent or something. Yeah, it's a real I, northern accent. It was, it was distracting for yeah. me. And I think maybe if, you know, it's interesting sometimes when people choose to do accents as opposed to sometimes when they just don't bother mm-hmm. and they just don't, you know, like you'll have a bunch of British people supposedly playing Russian people and they right. just don't even bother with accents. It's just kind of like, yep, I'm an actor, but I'm playing this role. Some, I think in this case for me, it would have been more effective if he would just wouldn't have had an accent. He yeah. would have just had a normal well, he wouldn't have tried because it really didn't matter that he was from Vermont. Well, I was going to say, that's the thing in the trailer that just kind of irked me a little bit is I'm hearing this kind of ridiculous accent. And I'm thinking, OK, if you're portraying a real life person that the entire world knows mm-hmm. and there is a very distinctive way that that person talks, I can understand and having maybe, to go for the accent. And maybe Phillips does have a really pronounced I'm sure accent. he does. But what I'm saying is he's not a common household name. Right. He's not. So it doesn't you know, matter. That's right. It's not like. Uh, <laughs> right. I can't think of a good example, but I mean, if you're going to do a, if you're going to do a film about Fran Drescher, you kind of have to follow and do the speech pattern, you know, <laughs> but right. <laughs> exactly. You got it. You could take the part. Um, but somebody like Catherine Phillips, I mean, you know, we don't know what he sounds like right. most of us. So why the decision to make a distracting, uh, voice accent there? I, I, I was a little confused by when I saw the trailer, but in so it was a little distracting in it the film. It was definitely distracting. I also say Catherine Keener plays Miss Phillips, his okay. wife before. Right. You know, I don't understand why she was in the film at all. Mm. Um, you know, you know, you're going to have Tom Hanks and then basically a cast of for the most part unknowns, which is cool. And to have her in the beginning part as his wife, it was just kind of like, why is this even, Oh wow. why is it, you know, why not just have an unknown person playing his wife yeah. as well? Okay. Because she doesn't really have that much dialogue. There's not really. So I thought it kind of threw me off because I was like, Oh, I didn't know Catherine Keener was in this movie. So mm. that, that is strange. interesting. Okay. So a, a fairly, uh, positive review from yeah. Mr. Chris Fry about, uh, about Captain Phillips. So it is obviously still out playing as we record this now. Uh, sounds like it's worth checking out, especially it sounds like the ending, the last 10 minutes scene, sure. uh, makes it kind of a worthwhile film in your perspective. Mm-hmm. If I do get off my, my lazy butt and go out and see it sometime soon, I'll definitely try to regroup with the show and let you know a re- <laughs> rebuttal maybe either okay. way on this. Okay. Thanks Chris for seeing that and taking one for the team there. Moving on to our second film, which also Mr. Fry will be reviewing solo (laughs) as I ask inquisitive questions about the film, is one I'm very, very curious about. We'll tell you all about it in just a minute. The film's name, though, is Escape from Tomorrow. People come here because they want to feel safe. Bad things happen everywhere. Especially here. Be happy all the time. Something's wrong with Elliot. There's something going on here. It's this place. So, Chris, I I love Disney World. Okay, I'm a theme park guy, and Disney World is kind of that ultimate pinnacle. Um, My family, I just took them there back in January, so we spent a really nice week out there. Had a wonderful time. Still talk glowingly about how great that that experience was part of what makes the disney experience so positive is the whole experience is being controlled around you and in a way if you really stop to think about it, it is a little kind of creepy that all the staff around you are kind of trained to act a certain way and everything's mm-hmm. so done up and my understanding is there's a whole underworld city community of people who work at the disney and it's just all so 
detailed and immaculate. Now, from a visitor standpoint, that makes it really work. It sure. makes the experience work. So when I heard about this film, Escape from Tomorrow, which is how to best describe it. And of course, I'm going to get a lot more detail from you about this. It was basically a film shot on location in, I think, Disneyland or Disney World. Which was it? Well, that's interesting. I I. Th- I it has to be it has to be Disney World because Disney World some because of its Epcot, Epcot and all, right? Right, right. But basically, the film was shot without the permission of Disney World. Oh, definitely. <laughs> so there are scenes taking place on different rides and attractions throughout the Disney World park. But you're basically following a storyline. Uh, the, the description in IMDb is just enough to cause me to really, really anxiously get to your review. Okay. In a world of fake castles and anthropomorphic rodents, an epic battle begins when an unemployed father's sanity is challenged by a chance encounter with two underage girls on holiday. <laughs> Please, Chris, tell me what this film's about and should I be interested whatsoever? Well, just the basic, how does the basic premise of being able to shoot a movie in Disney World strike you, regardless of what it's about? It's fascinating. Okay. Uh, so I'm automatically curious just because I hear this is a basically shot undercover. You know, the Disney officials didn't know that they were filming this as a movie. I'm curious. The, the, the premise is much more entertaining to think about than to actually carry on. Oh, no. Yeah, oh. I'm afraid so. And, you know... Knowing the restrictions of trying to get away with doing a movie in Disney World that's not approved or anything, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a feat that the guy did it. Hats off, you did it. But as far as there being a clear storyline or actually an entertaining storyline, I'd have to say it doesn't really exist. It starts off, and I think because of the limits that were put upon him, he couldn't tell a story. I mean, a lot of times the footage is hotel room scene footage yeah so it's like you know on location at in a hotel room where you can't be monitored but then there are shots within the park but a lot of it's just like walking footage or real close-up talking footage and it's always really short Uh, scenes so it's not like they're really making these big elaborate scenes anywhere on the disney world campus it's more guerrilla filmmaking but yet really really short quick blips just to show that they're in the disney world park admirable Interesting to think about, admirable to do and to carry off. Does it make for a good film? I I think not. Okay. Um, Now, the idea that you're talking about and the idea that the film starts off to kind of go down the path was the scene, the film opens up and the father gets fired. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so we know with the economic times and everything, he gets fired from a big company that's, you know, and he's devastated. And here he is on vacation with his kids at this, you know, let's face it, Disney can be kind of expensive, Mm -hmm. but you're paying for that whole experience that you talked about. Yes. So it's money well spent, I guess, in my opinion. But but there it is. So setting that up and how is he going to carry off being a recently let go employee and trying to keep his face up with his family? You know, he's got two kids. He's got a wife. That is a very interesting idea and to try to document his descent into like madness would be mm. very interesting mm-hmm. um he <laughs> one of the very early scenes after he finds this out they go on the it's a small world ride oh and the characters in the ride which i think they were able let's face it everybody hates that ride i think they were <laughs> able to shoot a lot of footage in there because not many people were in the ride right and they shoot a lot of footage of the different characters talking and everything and what they do is they end up like superimposing like devilish faces and making them kind of like these demonic on the singing chair children in the ride. Yeah. At that point I was like, okay, this is going to be kind of cool. Yeah. But unfortunately after that, it kind of goes downhill fast Mm. and they don't really carry out 
that idea of him really going bad. It's basically him just being tempted by these two underage girl, French girls that he thinks are attractive and wanting to like hook up with them. And then, mm-hmm. you know, it's just kind of like, okay, but it doesn't really, it's not very fully developed and doesn't really interesting. So it's really, really more concept and novelty over a really fleshed out good movie. Correct. Necessarily. And I'll say that in the, to the film's benefit, um, they shot it in black and white, which considering the opening shots and then how the father then has this, it's a small world experience. It kind of comes off being kind of like a twilight episode, right? Twilight Zone yeah, episode, sure. which is kind of cool. You know, mm-hmm. that's a good concept to kind of carry off. They also have the score of the film sounds very like classic Hollywood, like something you would assume with a black and white movie opening up yeah. with this very like, you know, orchestrated music, you know, okay. not necessarily like a soundtrack per se, but like, you know, orchestrated music from the forties or fifties or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so that was, that was also admirable for me. And it gave me like high hopes, I guess, right. for yeah. the film. It is the director's the writer director. It's his first film. Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting stunt to pull off for sure. a first film. It'll be curious to see whether he's able to do anything else after this. Well, what but I'm really, amazing that it even got out. Well, I was going to say, that's what I was the most fascinated by is that, I mean, you can buy this and rent this on iTunes right now. It's available online, other places, VOD and everything. Uh, you know, in the fact that even the poster is the Mickey Mouse hand and right. glove with blood dripping from it. Yes. It's just how in the world this is able to be done, you know, is amazing. I think, yeah. I think I, in a way I kind of give a little kudos to Disney for not shutting it down. It's like, okay, you well, know, I think, yeah. And that's, I guess the story about the film being made definitely, or the fact that it got a, definitely overshadows to me, the film itself, the artistic yeah. value of the film itself. But it is, I think they got away with it because basically there's never a mention of Disney in it. Okay. And there's, you know, there are landmarks of Disney. So you, you know, it's tell, Disney, yeah, but it's there, but there's never a call of Disney. I don't believe there's calls of Mickey Mouse or anything like that. It's all very, they say princesses, but I'm not sure, sure they actually nail down it. So they, and that's the other thing is um, at least once, if not twice, they end up blocking out, like blurring out. And they actually make a joke of it at one point. Logos. Yeah. And it's kind of like, okay, it just kind of pulls me out of the film. Yeah. It's like, okay, you know, just either don't well, put that bit in there or something. Like, but, I mean, I'm a little, I'm disappointed to hear your, I mean, it's just, I, I still may check it out just because I'm curious about the, 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 the concept of it, but disappointed that they, it didn't actually create a, a good movie. You know? it's, it's more of what I would consider to be a curiosity film. The fact yeah. that it even got made as opposed to being, I guess it could end up being a cult film just because of the guerrilla filmmaking that it took to got, to get made. Huh. But, um, and it didn't feel like it knew whether it wanted to be funny or whether it wanted to be satire specifically yeah. or whether it wanted to be actually like a horror movie. Cause there are some aspects that are straight up like horror. So it's kind of like you didn't know where it was going. So. Well, I, I hate to hear that, but there again, I appreciate you going again and, and taking a look to see it. It is available right now on iTunes video on demand. You can rent it. You can watch it. Sounds like an interesting curiosity. And I think if you're, if you're interested in that kind of guerrilla filmmaking and especially getting shots and making a film in a place that you would not expect to be able to make a film like this, it's definitely worth checking out to see the process behind it, even though according to Chris here, the end result may not be the most satisfying thing in the world to watch. Okay. So that's our reviews there. We've got Captain Phillips and Escape from Tomorrow, two films. Chris is saying Captain Phillips. Yep. Worth checking out. Good, good, uh, good film all the way around. Escape from Tomorrow, a curiosity 
to behold, but maybe that's about it. So, okay. Chris, what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick little break. When we come back, we're going to do some movie news, going to hit you with some updates and other things happening in the movie world. Uh, And then we're going to go into kind of our deep discussion on the idea of the world of trailers, capping off with our recommendation for you at the end of the episode. So stay tuned. You're listening to Foot Candle Films. We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show. Chris, we just had Halloween last night. We're recording this on November 1st, for those of you keeping track at home. (laughs) Last night was Halloween. Uh, Horror films, you and I have talked about a little bit in the past, and that we're not either of us really big horror fans. I mean, we don't seek out all the newest horror movies. Correct. But I think we have a certain level of respect for certain classic horror films. So I was curious. Just I looked up on my uh, my Letterboxd account where... For those of you who haven't heard us talk about it, we we log all the films we see, whether it's new films, old films, whatever it may be, and we do some star ratings on them, and it kind of gives us a rating of top to bottom. I, I like to see what my all-time favorite films are all the way to the absolute worst films I've ever hmm. seen. So I was curious, what is the highest rated film I had on my Letterbox account that I would consider a horror film? To okay. see, am I really appreciating the horror genre as much as I should? Okay. Uh, and this is a... Some people are going to argue with me whether this is a horror film or not. I say there's enough horrific parts of it to consider it a horror. Are you Sil- do- Silence of the Lambs. Okay. Uh, I had had down as my highest rated That's horror. That's going to do Showgirls or something. Yeah, like well, yeah. <laughs> well, believe me. It may be on my list of having seen it, but it's not going to be anywhere near the top of my <laughs> list. Silence of the Lambs was probably my highest rated movie with some elements of horror to it. Sure. Um, after that was Psycho. Okay. Which, you know, yes, is a horror film. That's actually my all-time favorite horror film, I could say, pretty straight up. Beyond that, there's not a whole lot on my list I would consider horror until I get down to my three stars or two star films. Okay. 127 Hours okay. is not the traditional horror, but man, it sure did scare the crap out of me. Oh, yeah. Poltergeist is okay. also pretty high on my list as a horror film. Aliens, you know, uh, the Alien Aliens movie. So... What about you? I mean, are there horror films of yours that you really appreciate and respect? And maybe you think about this time of year as uh, something you'd like to check out? I, I never was on board with the uh, Halloween franchise or with the uh, Friday the 13th yeah. franchise. Okay. But I will say ones that hold a kind of <laughs> I guess soft spot in my heart, even though I wouldn't say I like them, but I'm... Um, the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Oh, really? Yeah, specifically the first one. I think The first maybe, one was good. And I think that was one of the first horror movies I ever saw. Okay. It was at a swim team lock-in. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it was uh, frightening. And then I didn't sleep like for two or three days after that. Like nice. once I got, You stay up all night anyway for the lock-in, so yeah. who cares? But then you get home and your parents are like, what's up with you? Well, the original one I think was good. Uh, I think, I think by the time it got to the Dream Warriors and number three with the Dokken theme song, it was uh, maybe it lost a little of its allure. So. Well, and it became less about 
I guess, the actual horror than giving Freddy Krueger funny things to say. Right, and yeah. yeah. So it got more camp at that point. That seems to be the whole tradition with all these uh, horror franchises is traditionally they start out with a pretty strong entry, a good first entry, and then it just goes into camp after a couple of films. The main, uh, the killer is basically just treated as a big punchline uh, servicing or, sure. or in a case of Friday the 13th with Jason, it's just how crazy, how many crazy creative ways can he kill somebody? And right. it just becomes a little monotonous after that point. I guess right. that's why I've never been that really interested in the horror franchises. Sure. Um, the original Halloween film, you've seen that, right? Uh, John Carpenter's. It. I have seen it. I saw it just recently, the first time in a while. I was really let down. I just, really? I didn't think it was a good movie at all. Huh. I don't know if it's just I've kind of become kind of jaded to it all now. The whole silent killer that just goes and murders people in different uh, exotic ways. <laughs> I don't know, but I was, right. I was a little let down when I saw it. So I guess as far as traditional horror movies go, I'm not really, like I said, I'm not a fan of Halloween. But the original Nightmare on Elm Street and maybe okay. the second one, I thought those were... Those were and I know you're a big fan of Poltergeist as well. I, I do. I like yeah. Poltergeist a lot. And then I guess I don't know if you would consider them to be horror movies, but I am. I guess if you had to say my favorite instead of Psycho, which I do like, mm-hmm. it would be Alien. And I guess you could say Aliens, although that trends more on the action. Alien starts movie. to get more action movie, right. but Alien, the first one, that was definitely a horror, horror film. So, and yeah. I, I adore. It's not surprising if you've heard me talk about Prometheus, but um, not. I really, really like Alien. Well, that was incredible. Interesting that you should finish on that cap. So. Uh, uh, you mentioned Prometheus. Yes. Uh, next bit of news here. These are going to be some quick hit news we go through here a little bit. Uh, Ridley Scott's got a film out now called The Counselor. Yes. Um, getting some very mixed reviews out there. I have not had a chance to see it because I haven't seen anything lately, <laughs> as you can tell. But during the press rounds of uh, The Counselor, he was asked about Prometheus too. And the word from Mr. Scott directly is that a script has been written for hmm. Prometheus 2. He's got two other films on his on deck right now, so it'll be a little while before we see Prometheus 2 go behind the lens. Michael Fassbender also kind of asked about it and said, you know, we just don't want to rush it. Because he's on Counselor 2. So he's in the Counselor, like, so they're making the press rounds together. Gotcha. Of course, he was in Prometheus. He yeah. would be in Prometheus 2 because basically the film left a very open door for two of the characters in the film to go on to the next one. So uh, that uh, is Prometheus, a story you want to continue. I know you enjoyed the film. You probably reviewed it higher than just about anybody else I know that saw it. Uh, Is that a story you want to see continue or you would, would you be happy if it kind of petered out and left us with that one film? You know, I, I was scared enough. When I heard about Prometheus, I was kind of like, why do they want to bring that franchise back? Because there have been sequels that were like Alien versus Predator and all this kind of stuff, which was, yeah. in my opinion, garbage. So, but I was said, well, you know, I'll give it a shot. Ridley Scott's involved. You know, the script had the lost people involved. I was like, well, sounds like it could be promising. I saw the trailer. I was like, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. No, I'm, I'm excited. I, I, I trust them, I guess, okay. to do this. If he, because, you know, he didn't do science fiction for the longest time after mm-hmm. he did the original Alien. He did Gladiator and, you know, yeah, all sorts he didn't of really touch science stuff. fiction at all. So the fact that he would, I feel like that he would bother going back again. I'm like, okay, hopefully if he's going to do that, the script's compelling. And Michael Fassbender, I don't think I can say that he's done a paycheck movie yet. I mean, I'm sure X-Men First Class paid him well, but I don't feel well, like... that was a good movie, too. But that was a good I mean, movie. It, was a, exactly. it was a good script and everything, so good director. Th- it appears, who knows, that he is able to pick and choose what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. So 
I feel like if he were to sign on, he'd be like, nope, I think this is worthwhile. Like, I think when he did Prometheus, he's like, no, that's an interesting role of yeah. the android, and it kind of spins it, it a little in bit. In my mind, he was the best thing in that film, too. So okay. I really liked his character. So. so Interesting. Well, we'll keep an eye out for that, Prometheus 2. Whether or not it, it goes uh, goes behind the camera in the next couple of years or not, who knows? We'll see. Uh, a couple things, just some interesting things, I think, shifting around in the uh, timetable world. So The Wolf of Wall Street, that's uh, the new Martin Scorsese film. Oh, he's um, in, he was going to, we were going to interview him in the last show? I yeah, yeah. No, no, he, right but, he got called Morgan. away. Oh. He was there. In the green. He was sipping our coffee. Um, <laughs> he was ready for the interview. And then something came up. He got a call. He had to run. Man. He's trying to reschedule. Okay. But uh, I don't know. Our schedule's pretty tight. I don't know if we'll be able to fit him back <laughs> in or not. We'll see. Give us a call. So Let's Marty. As we call him, Marty Scorsese, uh, Wolf of Wall Street with Leo DiCaprio. There's a little bouncing around for a while. At first, it was going to be released this year. Then they said, "Nope, it's not," because Scorsese supposedly his draft of the film was over three hours long. Wow. Studio said, "Nope, not going to happen. Go back and <laughs> <Think> edit <again. laughs> it." So then there were rumors that it was going to miss the Oscar season and get pushed to early part of next year. Interesting. They just came back this week and said, "Nope, they got it down to about two forty. It's still going to be a long movie, but it is coming out on Christmas Day." So it will be Christmas Day, new Martin Scorsese film, hmm. which I think from the trailers looks really, really interesting. I'm really remember, excited about seeing excited, it. Yeah. But um, as we'll talk about with trailers in a minute, maybe I should not let trailers influence my enthusiasm so for a film. Secret Life of Walter Mitty, feel yeah. good yep. movie. <laughs> Next to go see Wolf of Wall Street. Probably Christmas a, Day, guys. Not a feel good movie. <laughs> Christmas Day. I'll tell you what. Uh, huh. Kids go open the gifts. I'm like, yay, everything looks good. Oh, okay, help assemble, whatever. Uh, let the kids rest. I'm going out to the movie theater. I got two really interesting films to check out that day. Okay. Uh, just giving a little pass along update there. Now, on a more grander scale. So, this whole Star Wars Episode 7. Right. A couple of things are sh- happening there that are causing me a little concern. Uh oh. They've already got merchandise at McDonald's. No. <laughs> I would not be surprised. <laughs> so uh, I think his name was Michael. Michael Arndt uh, was tapped to be the screenwriter for the film, was writing. Uh, supposedly they got to a point where they are moving on from him. They're not huh. maybe happy with that. Hmm. Supposedly, J.J. Abrams and Lawrence Kasdan. Do you know who Lawrence Kasdan is? He directed uh, Empire Strikes Back. Bingo. Right? Yeah. He also helped write part of that too, okay. the screenplay. Supposedly, J.J. Abrams and Lawrence Kasdan have now come together and are going to write episode seven. Hmm. That is nice. Now, the thing that I'm, I'm happy to hear that because I actually think that could be a good combination of writers. And it's kind of nice to see Lawrence Kasdan, who put together the best Star Wars entry from a writing yeah, standpoint I've, we've got and agreed. directing standpoint. Agreed. Um, coming back and kind of getting back involved in the story here. The thing that worries me, though, is the timetable. Uh, supposedly, rumors are J.J. Abrams wants to push the film to 2016. Oh. Doesn't want to have it done by 2015. Uh, everybody's worried about, hey, they'd have to start filming it like in just a few months to get going. And they don't have even have a script yet to get it done by 2015. Hmm. They were targeting summer 2015. Rumors are it may go to Christmas 2015. Now the rumors are he wants to go to 16 and the studio saying, nope, it's got to be 15. Hmm. That's where I get start to get nervous. Yeah. It's like the minute you start saying you've got to force a movie out the door by a certain timetable, especially one that needs a lot more time on writing than anything. I mean, we cannot have the prequels happening again. There's <laughs> got to be some more careful Lucas attention put in with the writing. The exactly. So, no fear of that, so yeah. anyway, I just think that's interesting. Something to keep our eye on. I hope they don't rush this movie out just to meet a, an arbitrary deadline based on a studio schedule. Well, and I'm with you where, you know, kind of like with the Ridley Scott idea with another thing for Prometheus, if JJ Abrams, who's the director says, I need more time. 
I'd be willing to give it give time. Give more time. I mean, I don't, I'm not an investor. I don't have money at stake, obviously. But, you know, I think more time is just going to result in a better product. You would so, hope so. You know, I, even though I want to see the movie, I'm dying to see another good Star Wars movie, I'd be willing to wait another year. Yeah. But, you know. As a fan, I'd be willing to wait. Well, the last thing I was going to mention about a film that uh, is going to lead into our trailer conversation here, because a trailer came out for a film that you and I are both eagerly anticipating uh, (laughs) for Mr. Wes Anderson, The Grand Budapest Hotel. If you have not seen this trailer, uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a fun little trailer. I think we both were pretty, pretty impressed with it. Uh, It's very Wes Anderson. I mean, really, you can watch in the first 10 seconds of the trailer. You know exactly who the director of this film was. Uh, any hope that we may have had in the past couple of years as we talk about Mr. Anderson to maybe try to do something different, that's not happening with this film. It's still very much a Wes Anderson film, like we've seen every other film he's done. This one does seem to be going more for the comedy, whether yeah. that's just the trailer or not, I don't know. Where Moonrise Kingdom had a very sweet childhood, innocence type of feel to it, this is very much almost almost like a pratfall, almost like a physical humor, screwball a little bit more screwball comedy kind sure. of thing. Trailer's a lot of fun. Uh, I think for a Wes Anderson film, watching the trailer does not diminish my enthusiasm or does not feel like I'm being given away any more of the film. I'm still going to go want to watch this film for the experience regardless. So, Yeah, we'll, we'll touch more on this on the discussion we're about to have yeah. um, with trailers. But yeah, I'm on the same boat. I did not want to see – I usually don't want to see trailers, but – Wes Anderson, I saw a link and I was like, well, okay. And I watched it and I was so glad I did. And it made me, it did perfectly what trailers are supposed to do. It made me excited for the film, but yet didn't diminish. The it didn't give all. away anything. No. And I think that's the that's thing. Let's, let's kind of evolve into that trailer discussion because we've been talking about this for a while. Sure. During our news segments, Chris, I like to bring up trailers a lot because I do generally enjoy the art form of trailers and I do consider it an art form. I mean, to me putting together a two and a half minute block of a, of a commercial that is meant to convey the essence of a film, get people excited about the film, even if the film's a piece of crap (laughs) to me is an art form. I mean, Mm -hmm. it really is. It's like people doing a music video. It's like people doing short films. It's even like commercials. I mean, to me, those are all forms of art just with different purposes in mind. So I like to look at trailers as sometimes the trailer is a good piece of art on its own, even if the movie it's it's advertising is really not going to hold up well. So I generally am okay watching trailers. What's your take? I mean, what's your philosophy on trailers these days? What, uh, you know, love-hate relationship, what have you got with them? I I generally don't like to see trailers. um, And I will not seek them out on the internet. The only exception might be if I know that something cannot, I don't like movies spoiled for me and that's okay. I tend to end up reading too much into trailers and sometimes that spoils things because I think about it too much Mm -hmm. or I just can't help myself. So I just try to avoid them. But, um, in certain aspects, like you say, when it can be done without spoiling the movie, I really, I really appreciate them. But in general, yeah, I do try to avoid. So you're very cautious. It sounds like, of course, when we sit in a movie theater, there's not much we can do to avoid them. They kind of hit us in the face. Well, and the big double standard. I feel like if I'm paying that much for a movie, I'm going to see anything that they have with it. So I want to see part of the movie experience. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. That's my favorite way of viewing trailers is to be right before a film. And in a way the studios have kind of decided what trailers they think ought to go with the film you're about to watch. So you're generally watching ones that might be along the same type of film and tone and all that. I don't know. I I watch more trailers than I should. I'll be the first to admit that. And I've gotten ruined on a lot of trailers. Actually, there's one recent one I can mention right off the bat that I will tell you right, right away really set me up for failure with the film. And that was man of steel. Oh, 
The Man okay. of Steel trailer. I have one that I can mention. The Man of Steel trailer I thought was gorgeous and just inspiring, and the music and the editing was just perfect. Hmm. I was so excited about that film. I was not excited about seeing the film before seeing the trailer. I saw the trailer. I'm like, oh yeah, I got to see this thing. And then I go in with very high expectations, and that caused my uh, perception of the film to probably be a little biased. Um, sure. When I didn't enjoy the film, it was a monumental failure as opposed to just a, eh, I didn't like the film. Got you. What's your... <laughs> what... See, and I hadn't seen the trailer that often. Okay. And I, I saw it maybe once or twice only in the theater because I didn't seek okay. it out. And, you know... Maybe but... not grasping onto the trailer as much like you right. did. Maybe kind of helped you go into the, the film with a little more fresh perspective. Absolutely. And then, you know, it's for Candle Films record that I liked it better. Yeah, than you, you did. So, yeah, I think... Yeah. In that sense, yeah, it's kind of. Well, is there a trailer that's ruined you or kind of spoiled? Well, okay. The uh, only mess- problem is this movie hasn't come out yet. But mm. let me—I think you'll know where I'm going if I start. The first trailer, first couple, because there were two different versions of the trailer for Anchorman Two that came out. Yes, they did a good job. You know, it's just the gentleman standing in front of a bunch of floodlights. Saw it once or twice, in the, or saw it the first time, first two times in the theater. I was like, okay, whatever. After that, though, it really annoyed me. But at least it didn't spoil the movie. Mm-hmm. Now I am unhappy that I have seen the Anchorman 2 trailer that actually shows scenes from the movie. Because yeah. as I think a comedy trailer, movies, com- comedic movies, comedies, yes. I should never see the trailer for. Never. Mm. Because all too many times the funny things from the film are in the trailer. True. And like there are a lot of – the trailer makes me laugh. I love it that it made me laugh. But the problem it's just- is – it's so many, it's like eight jokes. And if you cut those up and you put them in the film, I'd be like, oh, those were funny. But now that I've already seen those eight jokes, are there going to be that many other jokes that I haven't seen? It, here's my philosophy so, with comedy trailers. Uh, if it's a movie that I know I have no desire to watch, <laughs> that's a comedy. I'll watch the trailer just because I am going to see the funniest bits and maybe the trailer will make me laugh, but I have no desire to see the film. Gotcha. Anchorman, you're right there. That's a tough one because, of yeah. course, I heard the trailer was out. I really wanted to see it. And you're right. I'm very fearful that we may have seen the cream of the crop on that and other comedy trailers that come out. So, so if I had my way, I'd never see any trailers for comedic movies <laughs> because – I don't know. Well, let's talk about trailers that we have admired. Because sure. again, I think there's been a lot of trailers that have been made that they don't necessarily spoil the film. Right. They actually enhance the perception of the film or enhance the excitement for the film. And they do what's really meant to be done without spoiling it, without setting really unfair expectations on it. And sometimes some of the trailers, especially a couple of the ones I'm going to mention, I think are pretty creative. I mean, I think sure. it's kind of, they actually treated the trailer like its own art project, its own development cycle, instead of just a advertisement for the movie you know what i'm saying oh yeah so i know you've got some i've got some so won't we just kind of go ping pong back and forth and let's just kind of rattle off the ones that we we enjoyed the most as we think back to trailers i'll go first mentioning okay. one i went back in time a little bit for this one. Oh, that's um, good i think a lot of mine are more recent so oh are they okay back. yeah that's no I, I spanned the horizon on this awesome and it's actually a lot of dovetails in the things we've already talked about okay um the trailer for the first alien movie okay now i was a kid when this movie came out <laughs> i don't remember seeing the trailer i think the trailer would have totally freaked me out if i'd seen it as a kid <laughs> but over the years i've come to see it because as i read up on trailers and kind of research some old ones man if i had seen this original alien trailer in the movie theater as a kid i would have been scared to death i mean and it did what a trailer's meant to do for a horror film or sci-fi film. It gave you enough images to get a sense for where you're going to be and the kind of tone of the film 
but in no way did it give you any indication of what's really going to be happening. Gotcha. And it was spooky. The sound effects, this blaring, you know, alarm signal going off throughout the entire trailer. You got the close-ups of the cat, you know, in several cases, and the hissing cat. Hissing I mean, cat. it's just, man, that trailer still, I, I pulled it up just the other day to remind myself of what it looked like. And it was still very, very intense trailer. So for if you're going to make a sci-fi horror film and you don't want to give away the farm, <laughs> watch the Alien trailer, the first original one, the Ridley Scott one, because that one, it got it right. So mm. what's the trailer you've, you've got recently that has impressed you? Well, and this is going to be a trailer for a film that I really liked the trailer. <laughs> and I was a little let down by the film, but I still really admire, admire the trailer for what it did. And it didn't diminish the film any. Um, probably be surprised. I liked the trailer that they did for Phantom Menace. Um, mm. I did. Um, because they used some of the original music. It's, I mean, let's be honest, you know, it was, it's all about creating that feeling, yeah. the feeling of nostalgia and getting me excited. And that trailer totally got me excited. You know, it had, you know, the fades in and fades out to like, you know, a long, long time ago. And it had the original theme music and then it showed some shots and it had a shot of Darth Maul. And I'm like, Oh, I'm, I'm so totally in. It was successful. Did the movie. I still, it's my favorite of the new movies, you know, the mm. prequels or whatever, because yeah. I love Darth Maul, but it to me that was that was exactly what it what it needed to be. I'll tell you a funny story with that so. trailer because I actually had that on my list as well. Oh, okay, I, I do think the Phantom Menace Star Wars Episode One trailer was great. Now, how much of it was great because of the built up anticipation and nostalgia that we had going into it? Mm. I don't know, but it did work with the music. It worked with the shot selection. It got built up just the right level of enthusiasm. I remember downloading that was one of the first movie trailers I ever watched on the internet. Because okay. it came, it was released that day, and you had to go to Apple's website, their Star Wars page, and that was back when watching a movie trailer would take a couple hours to download to watch it on your computer. <laughs> and I remember I was at my office, and there were other guys in the office. We were all crowded around to watch this watch thing it. download, and we started playing it, and it got paused in the middle because it hadn't fully downloaded, <laughs> so we had to go back and start it from the beginning. It was a big deal, sure. and there were actually people buying tickets to go see movies that they knew the trailer was attached to. I think to. the water boy was attached yeah, to it. Yeah, just to see right. the trailer. And then right. a lot of people left after the trailer was done. <laughs> so the trailer right. worked. It built up a frenzy of enthusiasm. It was sure. a well-made trailer. Uh, I wish the film could have lived ru- up to it. And didn't ruin anything about the movie. Oh, no, no, no. It right. built up just, an, it actually built up more questions. I think right. more people that were a little skittish about whether or not this was going to be a true Star Wars movie saw the trailer. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm totally there. It brought back that inner child. Sure. And so much of us that we remember from our, our, our youth. So, Absolutely. well, I had that one on my list too. So I'll cross that one off. We have covered that. <laughs> okay. Let me mention a, uh, a, a recent one okay. that uh, you can still see on Apple iTunes right now for, or on the uh, Apple trailer side if you want to go check it out. Okay. Uh, the trailer for How to Train Your Dragon 2. Oh, I have not um, seen this. I love this trailer. And I'll, I'll tell you because they, they decided to do something a little interesting. It's a almost no dialogue scene. It's basically of the young character. And I don't remember his name. Hiccup? Hiccup, yes. With his dragon. Okay. And they're flying. That's it for two minutes. Hmm. But the choreography of them flying and the moves and the dipping in and out of the clouds. And then at one point, Hiccup kind of jumps off the dragon and he has his own wings contraption that he's trying out. And the Hmm. two are doing a dance through the sky. And it's just 
the camaraderie between them, their facial expressions as they look at each other. It was just, it's a beautiful trailer. Huh. It doesn't tell you anything more about the story. doesn't show you any other clips. I wouldn't even be surprised if they, sh- they made this trailer just for the trailer, like the shots. Gotcha. And that wouldn't even be a scene from the movie. Hmm. But I watched them like, you know, that's how you make a trailer. <laughs> I may have had no desire to see the sequel because I, I thought the first one was fine. Sure. And I saw it with my kids. But watching this, this trailer, it's like, wow, that's a really fun trailer. That is the way you make a good animated kids trailer. Hmm. Get us excited, but you're not summarizing the entire movie for us and gotcha. showing us all the key scenes, you know. So good trailer. Yeah. What's another one you've got? Sounds interesting. And one that I could watch because it's not going to spoil it. So no, it definitely, it definitely does not spoil a single thing about the film. The, another trailer that I, I'm really fond of has to do with one of the aspects you mentioned where it's kind of its own music video. It's like it's standalone piece. I know where you're going. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I do. Okay. It may be on my list as well, but go okay. ahead. Okay. And this, I had never heard this song before. Mm-hmm. And it was the song, the Smashing Pumpkins song. And I cannot remember because it's one of those. <gasps> it's not con- the same one. It's right, one sorry, of those confusing. Ahead. The end is the beginning is the end. I yes. think is the name of the song. Yes. Um, and it's too, it's the music for the movie Watchmen. And I really uh, okay. like, I had never yep. heard of that song before. And the mood and the tune, like, I completely thought that song was from the movie until mm-hmm. I think you were the one who told me, no, that's actually like a fast version of that song was in the really horrible Batman and Robin movie. You're right. And they took that song and like, I guess they maybe re-record, but slowed it down. It's it became this version. like somber dirge thing. And I immediately went out and bought it from iTunes because it's like, I love that song. And the trailer was good and it didn't really spoil anything about the movie again, yeah. but it was its own standalone piece. Yep. And I really... I really, really like that trailer. So that's one of my favorite, favorite trailers. I thought I could have swore that you were going to talk about the trailer for where the wild things are, Uh, which was uh, basically a music video with an arcade fire song. It's just that to me, I I think that's a really good trailer too. I think that that trailer is one of those I can watch on its own, even if I had no connection to the movie, because I like the song. I like the editing to the song. I like, just the mood of everything with it. So I, I thought that's where you were going to go when you were talking about music video in the last several years. Okay, so. admission. I thought about that. Yeah. But I really despised that movie. So that yeah. that tainted my reflection. But you're right. Now the that trailer I think about was it, really the trailer good. was really good. The trailer good. was yeah, really I'm sitting good. here thinking of the song right now as you're saying it. All right. I'm going to go back in time here. Okay. Way back in time. And this is, very, this is very cliche, <laughs> but I'm sorry. It is one of my favorite films of all time. And the trailer is one of my favorite trailers of all time. Okay. Citizen Kane. Oh. Have you ever seen the trailer for Citizen Kane? It's like three or four minutes long. It's a long trailer. I don't think I, I'm all one right. of those. I think I'm one of the very few people that's kind of like Citizen Kane. Eh. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I know. Uh, you, you and I have had words about that I before. Know, I know. But I love this trailer because all it is, is you hear you're on a soundstage okay. and they're maneuvering a microphone closer to the screen and you hear Orson Welles in the background. like, can you get me the microphone up here? And there's commotion going on. You're on a soundstage. It's very like meant to be like behind the scenes. Huh. And you don't ever see Orson Welles. I don't think until the very end, but you basically just hear his voice and you see this big picture of a microphone just in, in the frame. It's like, hi, I'm Orson Welles. And me and the other performers here at the Mercury Theater, we're putting together a film. It's called Citizen Kane. It's about this. Let me go introduce you to some of the people in the film. And then what he does is he does a montage of you see the actors and actresses that are in the film. They're dressed as their part, but yet they're kind of goofing around on the stage. 
So it's like, oh, here's so-and-so, and he's going to be playing the part of this. And, you know, he's a great actor. We've worked together for many years. It's going to be a lot of fun. And you see them kind of joking for the camera, and they're just kind of goofing around. Hmm. And it's like, okay, so you're basically telling me who the characters are. You're telling me a little bit about the story, but yet I'm seeing this trailer as more of a behind-the-scenes, like like they're making the film right now. Wow. That's really, really cool. And it's like three or four minutes long. It's a long trailer for a film. But I tell you what, I just think there again, it just huh. the creativity involved back in those early, early days of cinema to put together that kind of behind the scenes, almost a little, little mini featurette and introduce you to the characters I thought was so well done. I, I am interested, Dax. I'll have to go and look on. I assume I can find that trailer online. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'll have to go and look for that. I think that's my general problem with Citizen Kane is that I could, just like with Metropolis, I can admire the filmmaking that they pulled off. Right. But as far as the story, and this is, it just, it, I feel like it just kind of loses me. Wow. Yeah. Okay. But the, the filmmaking, like a lot of stuff that Orson Welles did, and, all that kind of, and like that trailer, for him to make that kind of trailer then, yep. that to me sounds mind-blowing. Oh, yeah. It's you really know, Now cool. I'd be like, eh, okay. But, you know, so, I, and, you know, maybe I need to give Citizen Kane another shot. <laughs> hey, I can always attest to the fact that you need to give, need to Citizen, give Citizen Kane, Kane. another okay. shot. Fair What's enough. another one you've got, Chris? Um, okay. I went and tried to find this trailer online, and I could not, and I was very sad. You can find a, a recut version of this trailer, but it was not the original trailer. Um, it's the original trailer, I guess the teaser maybe, that came out for Eyes Wide Shut. <laughs> yes. And it does not yep. have the, or it was Chris Isaac, Baby Did a Bad, Bad Thing. That's not the one I'm looking for. Uh, maybe that was the original teaser. The one I'm looking for had scenes from the movie, but it had the actual piano key. Yep. And I think as it continued to go through, it got faster, 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 faster. Very creepy trailer. the last thing was just like Eyes Wide Shut and then gave the date and then that was it. That was mind-blowing. Okay, granted, Stanley Kubrick's last film. It was known at the time it was really he'd already passed away. Um, so it had all that anticipation being built up to it. There again, didn't reveal that much about the movie, but told you just enough like, yeah, it's going to be a guy kind of exploring some dark places, and it's going to be kind of freaky. It was just so pitch perfect. I no, loved that trailer. I, I, I couldn't find it online. I considered that one okay. and I actually did find a copy of it online and actually oh, watched you? it just the other oh, day. I cool. was, it, it was close to making my list cause I felt the same way. It's the creepy one. It's the, yeah. the, the, the one with ding, the, the pinging ding. sound. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because even throughout the movie that, that sound just kind of gets me on er, on, on edge every time I hear it. Yeah. I can't remember how many I've talked about now. They all <laughs> kind of blend together, but this is, this is to me the coolest trailer. Okay. Ever. Okay. Okay. For a movie that's really not that good. Oh, But the trailer that they made, and I don't think it was a trailer they showed here in the United States. I think it was a foreign uh, market trailer. Okay. But I came to see this trailer after I'd seen the film, and I'm like, wow. Okay, I don't care how I feel about the film. This trailer is awesome. The movie is Femme Fatale, which is Brian De Palma. Okay. You know where yeah. I'm going with this, I right? I do. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Stars uh, Rebecca... Good or no? No, Roman Stamos. Yes, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Gotcha. And also Anten- Antonio Banderas. Banderas, right? It's not the best film in the world. It's okay. It's a erotic thriller type of thing, a Brian De Palma film. That's what he does. But this trailer, uh, if you can find it online, you ought to watch it. The trailer uh, starts out with the exact same shot that the movie starts out. And you see the names of the key actors on the screen, just like it's opening credits. Then the film accelerates in speed. Yeah. Super fast pace. And then it slows down for a few key moments and super fast speed again, slows down. In this course of two and a half minutes, they show you the entire movie. I have seen that. And it is is awesome. awesome. Yeah, it's I the totally entire 90 minute discussion. movie. 
sped up to two minutes Yeah, with just certain key moments slowed down to where you can actually see what's happening and kind of process it. But honestly, I've watched that trailer again. Yeah, that's the entire movie. The entire movie is in that trailer. They just sped it up so fast. And the end of the trailer basically comes up with some text that says, you've just seen Brian De Palma's latest film. Did you get it? You know? Right. And if not, why don't you watch it again? And that's the idea. That was the whole selling point is, okay, we just showed you. You saw enough scenes of erotic scenes. You saw enough dirty criminal scenes. You saw enough. You knew what the style of the film was. You knew the overall tone of the film. But yet... Yeah, you can't enjoy the film by watching it that fast, but it was just to do that. How cool and creative was that to basically give you such an insight into the film in a very unique way? So I still think that's one of the best trailers I've ever seen. Uh, And the fact that the movie was not really that great, but I still remember that trailer. It was definitely doing something right. If I had if I had remembered that, Mm -hmm. that probably would have been my like end all be all. Um, But it's not. I have. I have two. Okay. I have two remaining ones. Great. Um, one which I'm really surprised didn't make your list. Mm-hmm. The trailer for Magnolia. Oh, yeah. Um, and because it sets Forgot up. All we've about had that discussions one. about Magnolia. You recommended yeah, it. I on did. A, yep. a Pasho um, is one of your movies. And it, because it sets up that whole, like, here are coincidences. This, actually, the trailer should be shown before the movie almost. <laughs> because yeah, it kind of sets up, like, here's what the movie's about, people. And actually, maybe is it. I'm trying to think because it's been a while since I've seen the movie that maybe the trailer is, for the most part, kind of the opening scene. Where the whole opening 15 minutes of the scene the, like, is your, these all these coincidences through history and different stories and all that. So there's a little bit of that in the trailer, but okay. then we also have the here's this person, here's right. this person, here's right. this person, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So that, that trailer, and I, I think a lot of it comes into play for me is I really like trailers when I can see the directors or I feel like I can see the director's hand in it. Okay. That's why I respond strongly to the Wes Anderson. Cause you hear all these stories true or <laughs> not, but you think they're true about how tightly controlled everything he, oh, yeah. he does. And so you make, you feel like he probably, he probably didn't edit the trailer, well, but he but probably controlled like, the editing. Right. Of he's it. like, uh, no, that's going out. Like he yeah. just has such tight control. And I respect that. And I know that the movie's not going to be ruined. Cause I don't think Wes Anderson would want to ruin his own movie. And I feel like that trailer is just like his little piece of art. You know, you actually know? that's almost a, a, a kind of a really good way to look at trailers in general. And I think you're right. I think if the, if the director, if we can tell that the director had a hand in actually creating the trailer, I think generally it's a good trailer for a good film. Yeah. As opposed to, you can tell a studio trailer maker, made the trailer based of all the footage they were given to work right. with and just kind of crafted something they thought would be a good selling piece for it. You can tell when it's just kind of a run of the mill cranked out trailer versus one that actually had some care and attention put into it. And I, I feel like Magnolia is that thing. Oh, I agree. Paul well, Thomas Anderson was like, okay, I'm sure Pete, Paul Thomas Anderson probably has been involved with any trailer coming out for his film lately. So, and last but not least, I've mentioned it in another show, so I won't spend a lot of time on it. And it goes back to more of the music video idea, mm-hmm. the social network trailer. All right. Oh, with I the forgot radio, about that one too. With the Radiohead song that was redone. I guess Trent Reznor for the soundtrack had it sung by like a, a choir or whatever. Yes. The Creep mm-hmm. song. Creep. That was so amazing to me because it just gave me the right feel. And, you know, I wasn't excited about seeing a Facebook movie. You know, I was just like, oh, whatever. It's about technology. It's not going to be that interesting. 
as far as accuracies within the film, that after the fact didn't bother me. But I just didn't think it was going to be that interesting. And seeing that trailer and the way they set it up with the music and just showing, you know, pretty boring screens of computer, yeah. you know, people. To, but what it was saying by showing the screens, you're right. And then it showed you a couple of scenes from the movie, and that was like that was on you. It was amazing. No, amazing. you're right. I completely forgot about both of those. I forgot. Those are such good. I forgot trailers. about Fatale, which is amazing yeah. in its own right. So. Well, there's one old one that uh, it's, it, it wasn't really on my list, but it is one I kind of had as a uh, just to bring up and make sure I mention. Um, okay. I didn't know if you were going to go back in time on, on films or not. My time machine's broken. You remember the trailer for The Shining, right? Have you seen that? No. Okay. I don't think I have. Oh, let me explain this to you then. Okay. So the trailer, you open up on the hallway, a hallway shot. Huh. Elevator doors in front of you. Okay. Okay. And... All of a sudden, the elevator doors start to open. You start getting scrolling credits in front of you. Just a static shot. Hmm. No movement in the scene. A film by Stanley Kubrick starring Jack Nicholson. And all of a sudden, like the music starts swelling. Elevator doors open. It's just the, the blood gushing out. Wow. Slow motion, blood coming out, filling the entire hallway and frame. The camera never moves. Hmm. You've still got this text just kind of scrolling in front of it with this very ominous music from the movie. Hmm. Whew. <laughs> Creepy. Actually, the the uh, documentary Room Two Thirty Seven yes. that was made the the trailer for that basically parodied that same shot. But huh. instead of it coming out of elevator, I think it was out of a was it out of a VHS cassette deck or something? I mean, it was like <laughs> the same idea, but blood just kind of gushing out of it. Okay, um, very very cool. So I just, I, you know, there again, I think what we're seeing, and again, I'm sure Kubrick was probably very involved in the making of that trailer I as well. I think so. I think but we hit on something. I think when we can tell the director actually was kind of involved in the making of the trailer, I think we've got good trailers to well, work and with. And whether or not, like, with Eyes Wide Shut, I think he'd probably passed away before the marketing actually had ramped up. True. But regardless of if the director is involved, it just feels like yeah. it. You feel like you see the director's hand at work. That's true. Know? As it's opposed like, to... Just a trailer. I mean, the thing is, anybody can get, I mean, anybody who's got some good editing skills and knows how to put together some pieces and commercials or whatever can be given a whole bunch of footage from a film and say, uh, yeah, it's an action film starring Sylvester Stallone. Go make a trailer. And, you know, you scan through, you're like, oh, that's a good shot. Oh, that's a good line of dialogue. And you just piece it together and voila, you got a you got a trailer. (laughs) I think when directors see it as an extension of their film, this is like a preamble to their film almost. And a little more care is taken to it. That's when we've got some good trailers. Yeah. I guess the reason I keep watching trailers is I keep wanting to find those really good gems and I don't want to miss any. But yet, unfortunately, I'm exposed to a lot of junk at the same time. So, you know. Sure. Mm. Wow. Are, were there any others on your list? Uh, no, that, okay. that's, that's my list. Yeah. And that's, that's the ones I had as well, too. So, man, that's some good trailers. Actually, a couple of those. I haven't seen. I have to go check out and yeah, watch. I want to check out the one for Finn Fatale. Again. Yeah, you need to do that. And uh, check out the one for Citizen Kane. Just tell, okay, me, yeah, tell me what yeah, you I think on to, that. I need to do that. Absolutely. Well, Chris, we're running to the end of the show here, but we got one last thing to do. We always like to cap off our show, our episodes, with our online recommendations. These are films you can get iTunes, Amazon, wherever it may be, somewhere online, you can get access to these films, whether it's with a subscription or you got to pay for it, whatever it may be. Uh, something that maybe has flown under the radar, something we want to bring back to the surface again. Chris, what have you got to share with us this month? Uh, my pick this month is going to be Carrie. Um, we're right after Halloween, but the, it is the original Oh, the original. Okay. Yes. All right. Good. Brian De Palma. <laughs> Brian Ooh, De Palma. Nice Absolutely. little synergy there. So. Um, I had never seen this movie, and usually around Halloween time, I will say, okay, what's a scary, maybe horror movie that I have not seen that I you know, I should see. It's a classic or mm-hmm. for some other reason I need to see. So this year I selected Carrie was going to be, it's uh, on iTunes. It's also on Netflix. And uh, so I was like, okay, 
This is going to be it. And I watched it. It's just a really, uh, it is a horror film, obviously, but it's really odd. Mm-hmm. And I it, like the music is really odd. Like it has this 70s, like welcome back Cotter kind of like grease feeling to it. Hmm. Really odd. And then it'll have some like comedic moments that just don't fit, but yet serve the purpose of making you feel uneasy. <laughs> it's wow. Really, okay. Um, and then because it is Brian De Palma, as you mentioned, he's really big into like trying to shock audiences and yeah. have like, you know, sexual tension, erotic stuff. So some of that's in there. There's a shower scene at the very beginning, which um, is unsettling, <laughs> but it's just really strange. And also as far as building suspense, you got to give him hands to it because I knew you mm-hmm. probably know. Have you ever seen the film? Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, you have seen. It. Okay, it's been a long time. It's all back in college. Everyone but... knows it's on the posters. Yeah. Carrie like goes psycho. And you know what happens? Bleeding all over. So right. you're like, okay, I think I know what you you know where it's going. But to go ahead and put that out there, and everybody knew about it, and going in and watching this movie, and the build up to it is really interesting. And I think it I think it pays off. And you know, did I jump and was I scared? Well, I actually have to admit. Oh. <laughs> After the prom sequence, I'm not going to ruin it for anyone yeah. who hasn't seen it. Right. But there was a moment when I actually jumped. Wow. Chris, <laughs> Chris like, jumped, everybody. Like that. <laughs> I did. Yeah. So, you know, um, horror movie successful because that's mm-hmm. what it's going for. Yeah. So I just, I, I would recommend it to people. It's, it's, and it's just, to me, it's just such an oddity. And I'd never yeah. really heard people talk about it. I read Stephen King books. I'd never read that book. So I didn't know the story, but I knew like she was going to go psycho at the prom. But it was just really interesting, a really interesting document maybe too of how films were rated and what could make it in films at the time mm-hmm. when Brian De Palma made that film as opposed to now, yeah. what would be allowed. Um, just really – and the bullying aspect, which is mentioned a lot in schools these days. I sure. have kids in school. You do in there. You know, talk oh, really yeah. about anti-bullying and stuff. And what went on and it's just – I don't know. It's just well, really interesting on many levels and I don't really ever hear it discussed or even mentioned so yeah it doesn't probably get the acclaim it needs or the attention it needs i know when i heard about them doing this remake the biggest issue i had with them making the remake uh, doing the remake of this film is that when i heard that basically the prom scene was still going to be the end scene it's like okay uh, you know it it just doesn't work when you know that's the key scene and it's already been done so well by de palma Mm -hmm. you know if you're going to make a if you're going to do a remake of the film change it up and give it a different slant a different direction but I know they tapped into it because of the whole bullying thing. Probably. Bullying's kind of the big buzzword. So now we can do a horror film that actually deals with bullying a little bit more. Even though it's already been done. But everything <laughs> but yeah. I but everything I hear is that the beats are basically the same in the remake as the original. So it's really? like, why even do it? You know, I don't understand that. I um, guess just to make money off current audiences that have never heard of the old yeah. one, I guess. But uh but yeah. I agree. It was a very it's a very unique film. And actually, you know, if you think about it. Stephen King films a lot of times get a bad rap because I don't think a lot of people really do a good job with adapting novels of Stephen King into, into films. Sure. It's a lot more hit or miss. But back in the 70s, late 70s and all, you know, I I mean, Cujo, I think Cujo was really early 80s. I believe so. Uh, and that's still, I think, a pretty well done, well-made film for that book. I thought Carrie was really good. You know, there was some good Stephen and King movies. Like The Shining. Or oh, yeah, The, the Shining, yeah. Um <laughs> You know, so it's just, I think when he got into the late eighties and things started kind of going to crap for his films, right. Adaptions of his book, his books. Uh, uh, anyway, I, yeah, I think it's a good film. Interesting yeah. performance too, by uh, Piper Laurie who plays oh, yeah, the, mom. the mom. Yeah. I mean, she's just kind of all over the top. And if you've heard nothing else about this film, you've probably heard her performances, the psycho mom yeah. mentioned. So yeah, yeah, it's worth checking out. Well, mine is completely opposite. Uh, okay. nothing to do with Halloween or horror or whatever, but, uh, one that, 
it kind of came back to my attention because, believe it or not, they're actually making a TV show based on it, which, okay, anyway, let me kind of lead up to it here. If you were to describe this film to me and tell me, Alan, here's a film that's coming out, I'd be like, eh, that doesn't sound like anything I'm really interested <laughs> in. About a boy oh. starring Hugh, Hugh, uh, what's his name? Hugh Grant. Okay. Uh, he stars as a bachelor. He's kind of a playboy type of guy, just kind of living a very kind of childish life himself and no real responsibilities. He starts passing him off himself off as a single father because he starts getting some attention with the ladies on that. <laughs> but lo and behold, he actually comes into contact with a 12-year-old named Marcus, who is a kind of an outcast in his school, a little eccentric in his own ways and very odd sensibilities. And they become friends and they become kind of, uh, you know, have a, a good mutual admiration from each other over time. Again, you tell me this story. I'm like, ah, oh, like, Hugh yeah. Grant sounds like a really bad kind of schmaltzy comedy uh, type of thing. No, this is a really, really good film. It's done by the Whites brothers, Chris and Paul Whites, okay. who um, who have done some actually really taken movies like the original American Pie movie mm-hmm. that is actually could have been just a horrible teen sex comedy and actually gave it some heart. It was actually a decent, good film that I actually kind of admire. About a Boy is a really, really good heartfelt film. Good performances. One of the best performances by Hugh Grant I think I've seen. Hmm. And Nicholas Holt plays the 12-year-old Marcus. Okay. Um, you may know him now. He is. Uh, he was in X Men First Class. Oh. He was the Beast. He was the guy oh. that played Beast wow. in uh, X Men okay. First Class. Wow. He also just recently did a, a zombie film that was kind of a romantic comedy zombie film. I don't remember the name was of it. Warm it. Bodies. Or Maybe no? yeah. Okay. But it was kind of a supposedly a pretty well respected film. Supposed to be pretty good. Hmm. So he's doing some work as a young adult right now okay. in the film community. But uh, this was I think his first performance and kind of played a little bit of a dumpy twelve year old kid <laughs> and. Uh, they have some scenes together, especially towards the end of the talent show that, yes, could have been seen as really, really over-the-top sentimentality, but they did it just right. It was just emotional enough to kind of get you at the heartstrings a little bit, tug on your heartstrings without going over the top. And I think, you know, if you want to see a good light comedy with some good uh, relationship stories between it, especially between a older man dealing with child issues and a young boy who's kind of already maybe way mature beyond his years uh, – Hmm. It's just, it's a good film. It's a really good film. I I think the fact that I heard it's turning into a TV show made me a little nervous. But yeah. then again, there have been some good TV shows to come out of good movies before. Um, who knows? We'll see what happens here. As long as it's not another two and a half men or something, I think we'll be okay. So. <laughs> right. So two very different films for our recommendations, the original Brian De Palma Carey and then About a Boy with uh, Hugh Grant. Two films uh, we're recommending you check out if you have not seen before. Worth your time watching. Whew, that's a good episode, Chris. It was. We actually recovered nicely from my slack slackdom. Uh, I was really worried about recording this episode. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, life gets in the way. As much as I want to be spending my time in a movie theater, I just could not pull it out this week. I will try to do better for everybody the next couple of weeks to go out. Um, I am taking the kids to go see Ender's Game, I think, go. this weekend. So maybe one we'll be reviewing possibly soon. Sounds like a good um, one. Let's see what else we have going on to check out there just as well. Sure get my popcorn bucket. <laughs> <laughs> I will get your popcorn bucket. It'll have Chris's name stenciled on the front with awesome. my apologies from Alan. Awesome. So, and gold nice. lettering. There you go. Perfect. Awesome. Well, guys, you've been listening to Foot Candle Films. We've really appreciated you listening and joining us for this uh, time together. Uh, again, you can go back and listen to all of our old episodes on TheMesh.tv. Uh, check out old episodes of our show or any other show on the Mesh Network. 
Also, if you're curious about what we're doing as a film society here in Western North Carolina, visit us at footcandle.org. You can see us talk about the screenings we've been holding, see what next films we're showing, and give you a little bit of an insight as to some films we're going to be showing uh, and talking about here on Foot Candle Films as well. So, themesh.tv or footcandle.org. You can look for us both on letterboxd.com and see what kind of films we're checking out and some star ratings we're giving to those films as well. You can always drop us a line at info at themesh.tv. If you got a question, comment, is there a trailer that you think is a really, really cool trailer that maybe we haven't seen or forgotten about? We'd love to hear from you on that as well. We've got some things from the inbox, but we'll just save that for next time. Yeah, I think we had a lot going on this episode after all. So we'll save up a couple of those messages for next time and try to tackle some some listener inbox mail. So uh, with that, let's go ahead and wrap it up. Chris, good seeing you. Good seeing you. See you in the ticket line. Take care. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.